This is the American Warrior Show, the podcast of the American Warrior Society. Firearms, fitness, combatives, medical. With your hosts, Mike Sieglander and Rich Brown, both former Marines, both former police officers. Rich Brown, competitive shooter, and Mike Sieglander, professional shooter and the co-host of the Outdoor Channel's leading self-defense show, The Best Defense. The American Warrior Show. The fight's coming. Be ready. And hey there, folks. Welcome to the American Warrior Show. This is podcast number 209. I can't believe it. We're at 209 already, folks. I am Mike C. Klenner, one of your two show co-hosts of the American Warrior Show, the podcast of the American Warrior Society. And normally, I am joined by my partner in crime, Rich Brown. But once again, he is playing hooky. He is actually over the big pond on a family vacation, probably somewhere up in the Highlands in Scotland, or I'm not sure, running around the mountains somewhere, doing something crazy. Check out his Facebook pictures. He's having a great time. Anyways, I hope he enjoys his trip. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into this one. And this one is a unique show. It's actually a guest that we found on YouTube. Uh, the guy guy's name is Nick Drossos, and Nick is a uh, martial artist uh, and uh, previous previous security expert from the nightclub scene. Bouncer, call it whatever you will. Did a little bit of MMA. He's done some boxing. He's done pretty much any uh, martial art you can think of. He's been training for many many years. But he got the majority of his experiences from real world stuff in the clubs, which is actually very much like my martial arts background where I did uh, Okinawan freestyle karate. And then believe it or not, my first experience in the clubs when, was when my sensei said, hey, I want you to go get some real experience. So I'm going to have this guy that we know that trains with us get you a job in this nightclub. And I did. Um, and you know, it was interesting because I very quickly found out what worked and what didn't work. And that's what we talk about in this particular show. But back to Nick. Nick is a unique individual we've never met. He's actually from Canada. But when I got on his YouTube page, when my partner in crime, Rich Brown, said, hey, we probably need to have this guy on his show, I was actually pretty amazed. This guy is... Uh, He's not afraid to try anything. Let's put it that way. And when when you get on his YouTube page, which is very popular, he has like 350,000 subscribers or something like that and some videos with a couple million views. You know, he does stuff like, let me go to a random park in, I guess it's up in Canada, and uh, give people a simulated knife, i.e. a marker, and then let them try to attack me and see what happens and see if my knife self-defense system works. Uh, Or, hey, you know, a random person in a park, can you defend yourself or do you think you can defend yourself? Well, if you think you can, let's put it to the test. And he gets all this stuff on camera. And um, to me, it's just an honest way... (laughs) of testing, you know, a particular belief or skill set. To be honest with you, I'm not sure if I would have the conies to go out and, you know, just lay it on the line like that. But Nick does that. But anyways, uh, he's a uh, super smart guy, uh, well-spoken. I will warn you, this show is a little explicit. You know, there there are some curse words in it. We uh, Nick uses the F word a few times. Uh, I might have let one slip here and there, but uh, that's how he speaks and how he relays information. So if you're listening to this one with the kids in the car, um, if they haven't heard that kind of stuff before, you might want to um, uh, pick a different show and tell they're out of the car. It's a great show, though, so you're going to enjoy it. You're going to learn a lot. Uh, it was an eye-opener for me, and some of the things that that Nick talks about um, is unique to his experiences. So I was very, very um, happy to have him on the show. I really enjoyed the show. I think he actually enjoyed being on the show as much as I enjoyed having him because we had a lot of commonalities. And I hope you learn a bunch from the show, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get him on the show. And American Warrior Show listeners, give a warm welcome to Nick Drossos. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you today? Very good, Michael. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for jumping on the show. And I have to be honest, Nick, I uh, your name was brought to my attention by my my partner in crime, Rich Brown. And he's like, man, have you seen this this guy on YouTube? We should have him on the podcast. And 
we, we've had a lot of really good fighters, you know, from Hoist Gracie to Tim Kennedy, you know, UFC, UFC champions to, to a lot of different individuals. And I'm like, I, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know anything about them. And I jumped on your YouTube channel and the first video started playing. It was the, uh, the fight analysis, sucker punch defense. And I'm like, sold because you and I speak yeah. a common language. Some of the things you picked up and, and talked about in that video, we're outstanding. So I'm like done. I'm going to have, let's, let's, let's bring him on the show. So, uh, so That's Nick, awesome. welcome. And, and maybe if you would, uh, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe tell them where you came from and, uh, start off in the beginning and then we'll get into your, your fighting stuff. Uh, well, I'm originally from Montreal, Canada. That's where I'm born. Uh, I grew up in Montreal park extension, which is more of a you know, lower class. I would say probably a little bit of a, you know, I, I don't like calling it a ghetto neighborhood, but it is a lower class, a little bit of tougher neighborhood, you know, being small kid, getting picked on a lot. Uh, I had to learn how to defend myself. So I got into martial arts through that. Um, I've spent my last 20 years just doing that. Self-defense has been my life and as well as fitness. So I'm also a fitness strength training coach. So I've combined the self-defense uh, with the fitness as well. So for the last 20 years, this is all I've been doing is, you know, teaching, doing seminars, traveling, uh, you know, at my studio, a few stuff as well online. So pretty much it started, you know, from a little kid and I loved it. I was passionate about it. And I decided, well, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then I had to figure out how to make it for a living, which I ended up doing. So um, that's pretty much in a really quick, fast, you know, way to break well, it down. Well, man, tell me, if you would, dive into, t- tell me about the first fighting, combatives, martial arts skills that you learned. Like, who, who did you train with and, and what style did you start off off in? And maybe, you know, w- what was it like when you very first started did you start at a karate school or tell us about that? It was a Kung Fu school. It was Kung Fu Silam Hangar. It was the closest one to my house. And I remember I had to beg my dad because it was expensive and they didn't have the money to put me there. And I begged for them to put me there. And uh, it was my first martial arts. I was about nine or 10, if I remember correctly. And I remember loving it. And, you know, I, I, I would go to school and after school, Every day, every class, I would start, you know, go there and train. Uh, later on from there, I started doing other martial arts. I got into more into the sports, into the boxing, the kickboxing, some reality-based self-defense systems, some Krav Maga. I started exploring many different martial arts. And I say it openly, without ever uh, fully getting into one, you know, never. I never, I, I, I never pursued just one because I was... I did a few. I picked up what I liked. I love boxing. Boxing is one of my favorite. You know, I picked up boxing. I did that for three, four years, trained with different coaches. Then I did some Thai boxing, put in some Thai boxing in there. And then I started working in nightclubs. At 22, I started working in clubs. And that's when I really started learning, like, self-defense. That's when I was like, okay, shit, what really works and what doesn't? Like, you find out really fast when you're in a fight in a club and there's bottles being thrown, there's two, three guys trying to punch you, and you're outnumbered, and there's weapons, and right away you realize, holy shit, this works, this doesn't work, this makes sense in theory, but doesn't work in real life. So your perspective on self-defense changes really quickly when you get to test out shit for real. Oh man, I totally agree with that. <laughs> but let me let me ask you this, Nick, when you so when you started, you started eight or nine years old, started training, were yeah. you very avidly training in different martial arts and boxing and MMA all the way up to the point where you got, you, you started in the clubs. And, and let me ask kind of maybe a second question to that is yeah. in along that journey, like, did you get in a lot of fights in high school? Did you get any fights in the bad areas you lived in? Or was there really not much of an opportunity to test what you were training in no, the dojo? It, 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 it's a great question. It's funny because when I was taking Kung Fu, I realized really quickly and I'm not saying Kung Fu's bad, but what I was being taught, well, it was very technical. And I realized really quickly it didn't work. Yeah, I did. Get, I, I did fight. Like, I mean, and I took a beating. You know, I'm not one of these guys who say I've never lost a fight and this and that. No, man. You know, and, and it, it, when you're going to fight in the street, if you've 
you, at some point, there's always somebody bigger, stronger, and at some point, everybody takes a beating. That's my theory on it. And yeah, I did, you know, I did, I did fight even before working in the clubs. And you know, I remember one beating that I got where you know I got busted up and I was wearing braces and my mouth was bleeding. And it, it's part of your learning process in becoming a fighter. You know, what I mean, like Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody has a plan plan to get punched in the face, and if. <laughs> If you're going to fight, like, I mean, and I, I don't like fighting. I call it self-defense. But if you're going to defend yourself, know that, you know, part of the game is you're going to get hit at some point. Better are getting hit in training than in real life. So your body doesn't experience a shock when the first time it does happen. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you, man, you just made a great point. And I was going to ask this anyways. In my mind, there's a big difference between fighting like like pugilistic like you and i are are facing off okay now we're going to start trading blows or kicks or grappling moves versus self-defense which is potentially you defending yourself against a surprise and extremely violent assault can you tell me if you see a distinction those two things or what the distinction is so i'll tell the hugest distinction because i've i've faced them both right and you know, when you go in the ring, there's no weapons. No, you know, you're only focusing between you and your opponent. You know who you're fighting. He's more or less in the same weight class as you. You know his strengths. You know his weaknesses. You've studied him. You've trained for him. You know that at any point, I tell people, what's the worst case scenario? You get knocked out. Okay, there's a stretcher. They're going to take you to the hospital. Worst case scenario. Like, yeah, you could die, but that's like in probably 0.001. Worst case scenario, you get knocked out, broken face, broken nose. Not the end of the world. In the street, the scariest part is you're looking at the guy in the eyes. I remember working in the clubs and I'm looking at the guy in the eyes and I don't know this guy from a fucking hole in the wall. I don't know his mindset. I don't know if he just got out of prison. I don't know if he's going to fucking pull out a knife. I don't know if he's going to, even if I successfully, let's say, beat him up or defend myself, is he going to come back and try to shoot me? And I remember at the clubs, I used to get guys tell me, you know what, I'm going to come back, I'm going to fucking shoot you. Mm. Now, most of the times it's all talk. But, you know, there's been guys who did actually come back and who did fucking attempt to shoot somebody. So it is, it is a risk you take every time you do that. Yeah, that's a totally, you know I mean? it's totally different than just a pugilistic. I, I agree, and I like what you're saying on. It makes total sense. Like, hey, man, you you can jo- you could go fight in the UFC, and what's the worst thing that's happened? You're gonna get knocked yeah. out, and they're gonna take you to the hospital. They're gonna treat you and sew you up and take care of you in the street, man. Worst case is death, and whether it could be death right there or death in 20 minutes when the dude comes back with a gun. Um, but let me ask you this, man. So let, yeah. let's, let's go into your bouncer. So you get hired in the clubs and you, you yeah. face the reality of, okay, some of the stuff you've been doing doesn't work. Tell me, yeah. tell me some things that stand out that you're like, Holy crap. That was a complete waste of time that I worked on that particular skill for so long. Um, you know? a, a lot of, a lot of like, uh, some of the blocking, you know what I mean? Like like Kung Fu teaches you this block to step off to the side in this perfect kata form. You don't have fucking time to do that. That's one, right? The, the, this is just one. Two, any kind of precise striking, right? Like some of these really precise type of striking where, you know, strike the temple, st- any like really defined points that you're supposed to strike. Most of the pressure points under adrenaline don't work. There's only one or two I could say that work. Yeah. Um, all the locks and submissions you see that they teach security guards, most of them don't work. They work if you're three guys on one and the guy's not fighting back. But when you're faced with a guy who's fighting back, putting in that lock, unless you've struck him two or three times and you've created a little bit of damage, it's practically impossible. And and I've trained this shit for years. Yeah. And this is this is what I realized. Example, grappling. Now, people think, because I've made a video on grappling, I love grappling. Grappling is great. You're going to get great, amazing skills. But if you're going to, if you think you're going to go in a nightclub and put a guy in an arm bar and to finish the fight, you must be out of your mind. And when I hear guys teach self-defense or MMA guys tell me, oh, I'm just going to grapple, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but try it in a staircase. Try it in a club, try it in a car, try it in a close quarter environment. Most of the time, it won't work. However, the elements that you will get through grappling, if you know how to utilize it to your favor, is very good. I grapple. I have a private MMA coach. 
right, that I train with weekly. Mm-hmm. He's a pro MMA fighter that I train with just to keep my skills. And I'm always, you know, sparring. I'm always grappling. I'm always rolling. And then I just, you know, let's add a knife. Come at me with a bat. Let's do some multiple attacker scenarios. To me, scenario training is where you actually get to test your stuff, where you put in weapons, multiple attackers, where the person actually gets to experience different type, gets to experience the fight from the point where the guy's walking up to you and talking to you to when the guy's, when the fight is finishing. Mm, yeah, I love it, man. Do you, um, do you have any recollection, Nick, of maybe <clears throat> your first big fight in the club. Not something where you had to spin a choke a dude and just take him out, but I'm talking about something where like, oh man, I am in a, a bit of trouble here. I'm in a fight. Can, or, can you tell, yeah, do you remember that? tell us about that story? It, it's funny because um, one of the biggest, the first fight I ever got into in the club where I experienced the chaos, because that's what I call it, chaos. Uh, it was the first time. So I did all this training, scenario training. I crap my God, reality-based self-defense. I did scenario after scenario. And there's a big fight that breaks out. We're about three doormen. It's me, Rick, Mark. There are about seven or eight guys. And it's just going crazy. And I remember that I lost control. I was, I got scared. I was so overwhelmed by the explosiveness the dynamic of it that I never trained like this, that I was screaming and yelling and I'm like, fuck and I'm hitting people. I'm kicking them at one point. We're on top. They're on the stairs and I'm like, fucking kick them. And we just start kicking. But I was like in complete panic mode. And I say it openly because I'm, you know, I'm 170 pounds. I'm not trying to tell you guys I'm a fucking tough guy. That's not at all. And when I hear instructors or guys tell me I've never lost a fight and this and that. I tell people there's nothing glorious about street fighting. There's nothing, there's nothing amazing about getting into fight in the street. When you see somebody get stabbed and die in front of you, cause I saw this for a week, I was traumatized for a week. I couldn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw that kid's face and he died being stabbed and I held his head. And I remember that. And I, and I remember teaching and I'm like, shit, this shit actually happens. And when you see that, you're like, fuck, I'm going to do whatever it takes to avoid. That's what I teach. So just to tell you, all my training at that very moment went down and I realized what the fuck happened? Why did I panic? I'd never experienced that before. Now, over the years of training, over the years of working in the clubs, I learned how to control my breathing, my adrenaline, be more focused, be more in the moment. It's kind of like a soldier going to war. His first time probably... He's shooting a gun, being shot at. He's probably going to, you know, be nervous. But after the 10th, 20th time, like, yeah, okay, it's not so bad been there. You know what I mean? You're a little bit more, a little bit more focused and in the present moment, if that makes sense to you. That's just my experience. No, it it makes good sense. And I'm actually happy you brought up the fear uh, part of the equation because that, that isn't something I've talked to many of my guests about, although a lot of them have talked about being scared. And these are, you know, hardened battle warriors, hardened fighters or whatever else that fear is part of the equation. So may, can you address that for a second, Nick, is, maybe the acceptance of fear or the premonition that, hey, if I'm training right now and I haven't been in a bunch of fights and I know I'm training for self-defense, that I need to be prepared for that fear to hit what it feels like in the adrenaline. Can you talk about that and maybe how you get your students over that hump? See, the first thing is I tell them whatever you resist persists. Part, fear is part of the equation. If you read The Gift of Fear from Gavin De Becker, it's a survival signal. When I'm afraid, I fight better. When I'm afraid, it means my life. It's not a drill. It's not an exercise, not a scenario. When I'm afraid means, holy shit, this is real. And if, if I'm afraid, that means I fight with everything I have because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting out of this dead. I'm getting out of this alive and win or lose. I'm giving this guy everything I have. So the fear is part of the equation. Do not mistake however, fear with adrenaline, the, the, the heart, you know, your heart pumping, you might get shakes, the fast breathing. That's all the fight or flight that's preparing. Right. But it's all part of what you need to survive. The difference is you want to make sure that you don't, it doesn't set into freeze and panic, right? So through training, the more scenarios you do, the better you'll be prepared. And a great example is 
um, when I used to train, I used to do a lot of scenarios. And the first time a kid would do a scenario, a student, I'd be like, okay, put on the helmet. I go, go in the bathroom. These two guys are going to attack you. They, they don't know what's going to be the scenario. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? How they're going to attack you? You don't know. But something's going to happen. Just that unknown creates a fear and adrenaline. And what I would do after, I would go in the bathroom. So I'm like, how do you feel? He's like, fuck, my heart's racing. I'm getting it. I was like, okay. I go, relax. Breathe. Breathe. Okay. Get out of your head. Don't think, am I strong? Am I tough? Am I going to lose? You got to be clear in the moment. Once you get out, focus on their movements, their hands. Focus on what they're saying. Be prepared. Look at the body awareness. The instant you feel like an attack is going to happen, you got to go preemptive. If you could diffuse it, diffuse it, because I'm not guaranteeing you they're going to hit you. They might just, you might be able to diffuse it. As I want you to practice all of that, I want you to practice how to diffuse, how to deescalate, how to read body language, when to strike. All that is part of the self-defense that's important for you to learn. It's easy to throw a strike. Now, learn how to control your breath, learn how to listen, learn how to talk your way out of a fight, learn how to be aware, learn how to set up your strike. I focus on that a lot more than the actual fight itself. Because if you can get in that, those, those first few seconds are what most people don't teach. And that's what I focus on. Because working in clubs, that's what I realized. Before the knife comes out, do you know where his hands are? Mm, do you know which, yeah. which hand could be holding the knife? What distance are you at? Are you too close? Are you too far? Is there an improvised weapon around you? Are you in an elevator, staircase? In a few seconds, you got to assess a situation and break it down and look at your probabilities of survival and what are the best ones. I like this, and I like the way you uh, lay it out. I've, I've always kind of thought of it, Nick, as a self-defense system. Like, for example... I'm not just going to teach you how to fight. Like you said, we're not just going to focus on punching someone or kicking someone. That's pretty, it's, well, it's not easy, but it's pretty easy to yeah. teach and learn. It's, but yeah. it's, it's way beyond that. It's like developing some sort of awareness. And then, like you said, communication, understanding body language, which it's one of the things you talk about on that main intro video on your YouTube channel. And by the way, folks, we'll have links to Nick's website and his YouTube and his Instagram in the show notes. So don't, don't, you know, don't worry about that. We'll have those links, but that system is like, okay, body language, distance, timing, talking your way out of a fight, dude. That's, that's gold. Because if you can avoid the fight, you're winning. That's that, in my mind. Even if, Absolutely. okay, you got to suck up your ego a little bit. If you avoid the fight, you just won in a true street fight, you know? You know, I've seen guys, you know, I mean, believe it or not, I learned more by watching fights than being in fights, working in the clubs. I always tell people at 2 30 a.m., once the club, Everybody starts leaving. Go home. All the fights happen around after 2 a.m. because everybody's drunk and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and, out, and outside the club. Don't hang outside the club. So I've seen people get into fights over the dumbest shit. And, you know, the guy, you, you don't know who the guy is. You know what I mean? I, I actually saved the kid's life one time because it was two guys, two like gangster guys that I knew who they were because you, you're in you're in the scene you got to know these guys you got you almost become friends with them right and this other guy owed the money so two guys are beating up on this guy because he basically owes the money for whatever they're some dead and he's beating I, I'm not getting involved this is between their shit and this 19 year old kid gets out of the club he's like oh shit man there's two guys beating up on a guy I'm gonna go help him and I grab the kid I'm like I go, what are you doing? I didn't even know this kid. I'm just thinking, you're going to get your ass kicked if you get involved in this fight. So you got to look at, you know, when you're looking at self-defense, I tell people, even when you're about to get into a fight, uh, about to get involved, even when you're going to break up a fight, you got to take everything in, 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 in a certain context. You got to be, you're like, your awareness and, and all that comes to play when you're looking at self-defense. You could successfully defend yourself and let's say beat up this guy. I don't even like using that word, but he might know where you live and he might come back and try to stab you or shoot you. Now the chances are slim, but are they possible? Mm -hmm. You never know. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's the way we're discussing this. It, I, um, I'm interested in your thought on this and my, as I've been doing combatives for, probably as many years, years as you. I don't know how old you are, Nick, but, and I've all, I worked, um, years in the clubs, had hundreds of either altercations or situations where I had to take guys down, take them out, drag them out of the club. So 
but what I what I personally believe, and, and I'm I'm bigger than you. I'm 227 pounds and and have okay skills. But at, having done all that, I tell you, man, at this point in my life, it just solidifies the importance of the fact that I do not want to fight. Like it's the last thing that I want to do after everything I've seen and everything I've learned. Yeah. Would you agree with that? See, I could tell when somebody has experience and what they're teaching through this type of talk. When they say, I hate fighting, I'll do everything to avoid a fight because when you've seen the ugly, when you know that, you know, just here in Montreal last week, a 15 year old died because he got stabbed in a school fight. Mm. Okay. So I, I tell people, you know, a 16 year old kid with a knife, you could be the greatest fighter. Believe it or not, he can fucking stab you and kill you. That's right. Because it's so unpredictable. So before you go and you start looking at some of these videos or some of the instructors, like I, my videos, I teach people. Somebody has a knife and says, give me your money. I teach them how to give your money. Yeah. Create distance, create space. Now, if he drags you and tries to pull you in a car or second your location, you fight with everything you have. Now, not to say if you feel like not giving your money, like people ask me, I say, and this is, this is a test I tell people. Okay, so an attacker says he wants my money. It, it's okay. I tell them, what's the scenario? What do you mean? Am I just one-on-one? -on -one? Yes, one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, where am I at? You're in an ATM machine. Okay, um, great. So what do I do? Really depends, but let's change it. What if they're two? Uh, now you're two-on-one, -on -one, close quarter with a knife. What if I'm with my son? Oh, it just changed again. So I never, there's no such thing as always and never. It always depends on my, I'm with my son. Two guys walk up to me and the guy says, give me, give me your money. And I'm in close quarter. And quickly, I got to be like, okay, in two seconds, I'm, I'm with my son. There's two guys, one guy's a knife. Uh, you, that's, that's where the real training comes in. Being able to assess a situation, a lot of that is through a lot of training, a lot of scenarios where you get to explore. I tell people, do you train to slip and fall? Uh, no. Guess what? It happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I'm in snow right here right now. I know what it is when you're in the club and the hat goes in your face and you can't see and the guy's punching you because your hat came into your face. You got to break up your hands or when somebody throws a bottle or when you slip because you're outside and you're on the ground and the guy's trying to kick you and you're trying to get up and you're trying to look at your partner and he's being jumped. Like this is all stuff that could happen that are completely unpredictable that in training or in a cage, you don't worry about. That's right, man. You don't have any of those environmental factors or if you do, you no. know what they are, you know, you know, they exist. <laughs> like I, I made a great video, how to use a chair against the, uh, a chair against the knife. And it was in the U.S., somebody wrote to me, and he goes up to me, I want to thank you. You saved my life. I never did any martial arts. I just watched your videos, and one of them was how to use a chair against a knife. And he was, like, at a concert, and a fight happened, and the guy pulled out a knife. And he goes, I watched your videos, and I picked up this big chair, and I started swinging it. He goes, by pure chance, I hit his hand, the knife went flying, and everybody jumped in. But those few seconds are what kept him alive as well. If he never watched the video on how to use a chair, he would have never thought about it. Sure. And you don't need to be a martial art expert to pick up a chair and just create distance to escape. Like some of the times I tell people it's just evade and escape. Here's another thing. A lot of people don't pressure test. Everybody tells me against a knife, you're an idiot. Just run. Great. <clears throat> have you ever pressure tested? Go in your, go in a bedroom, <clears throat> go in a, in a room, that's regular room, 10 by 10, 15 by 15, have a knife and try to run to the door and open it. By the time you get to the door and open it, I've stabbed you. Exactly. I've right. tested it. Unless you're in a soccer field or in a big field where you have space to run, go. But most fights happen in close quarter range. Anything under 10 feet, chances are you're going to get stabbed. Even if you have the gun, by the time, and I did this when I trained a few cops in New York City, he had the gun. Obviously, like uh, he put the gun 22 feet. I had a marker to, to simulate him, like how fast somebody said go. By the time he got to his gun, I had cut him. Sure. When you know that, you're also like, shit, okay, what do I do under five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, space, range, improvised weapons? All that is part of the self-defense that I like to focus on. 
Man, I love it. Great stuff. Uh, and this kind of brings me to a question I want to segue into back to the clubs. We, you know, we talked about the things, the specific things that didn't work, that fell apart. Yeah. What did you find worked? What were your go-to things? <clears throat> what were some things that are like, man, this works every time or most okay, of the time? It, okay. It's keeping it simple. The one thing that always worked is always have your hands up in a natural stance. I means my arms were always up. I was always in a Benny stand. My hands were always up when I'm talking to the person because I want to get as close as to his face. I don't want to have my hands up to block if he tries to ambush, uh, try to sucker punch me. So, so my hands. Could, are, could you be specific yeah. on because like when you're when you're in a club or even anywhere in real life, <laughs> like we can't get into a boxer stance with our hands up. So tell no. tell them how you talk with your hands and have your hands very close so you can strike or defend because I think that's a key point. Yeah, like I have them either cross. I don't cross them because you could jam them, but one hand, one arm laying on top of the other, like kind of crossed. Uh, I might bring up my my hand to my chin as I'm talking and I'm creating distance. Uh, I might have them where I just bring my hands together where they're just to the side. I might bring them up and just talk with my hands and <clears throat> express myself with my hands. But in reality, I'm setting up that first strike to either intercept it, uh, a strike, or go preemptive. That's one. Two, keep it simple. You don't need 15, 20 strikes. You got headbutts, palm strikes, elbows, knees. Those yep. are your big strikes. Eye gouging, neck cranking, strike the throat, pull his hair if you have to. One, go preemptive as quickly as possible. Keep it simple. Try to bring him down. Once you strike, bring him down. Don't keep him up high. Be explosive. When you decide to throw that first strike, it's like a machine gun. It's already locked and loaded. When you do that first strike, it's because you're following with four to seven strikes and you don't stop. And don't get technical. Like, practice your strikes, but don't go, okay, once I'm going to elbow, then I'm going to do, then I'm going to go for an arm bar. Like once I elbow, then I'm going to, I'm going to uppercut him. Once I uppercut him, I'm going to go for a take. Don't do that because anything could happen. And if you plan your fight like that, you're going to short circuit. Yeah. There's action and reaction. That's why technique and all these three, four sequences don't work. You get a window of two or four second leeway if you go preemptive. But after that, it's a fight. Anything could happen. Yeah, man. Let me and let me dig into the details here because you have certainly, I think, a lot of the same experiences I've seen in terms of. Well, first of all, I, I see in some of your videos you use the bob a lot. I use a bob extensively in my strike training because it does allow me to generally target. Like this is a head strike, yeah. this is a body strike, this is the chin strike. You know, dr you know, driving the head back. But can you talk about? your striking preferences in terms of open hand, close hand. And if, if you've, if you've used a lot of close hand striking, did you have any fractures, knuckle damages? I'm more of a, you know, open, open hand striker to a softer, to a harder target. And they, for example, I'll punch or elbow to softer targets like the body. And that's, that's how I practice my strike. So yeah. if I throw a strike to your head, it's almost always going to be open hand. And that's what my open. subconscious is going to do. Can you talk, about your experiences there just a little bit? See, it's very interesting, right? And, and, and obviously, I could tell you I have experience. I could tell people who have experience. I, it, when I used to work in the clubs and it was winter and I used to wear my leather gloves, mm. I, I would end up punching. Yep. Psychologically, I felt like my hand was protected. When, when I didn't, and in my everyday, I would palm strike. Yeah. I would hit open hand. Now, some people tell me, oh, punching is better than palm strike. At the end, I say, well, guys, Whatever floats your boat. If you feel better with punching, I've seen Tiny, who's 350 pounds, break his hand on a guy's head, right? It's not, and the guy got up and he was fine because as much as you want to say punch with the two first knuckles, when you start punching and you're under adrenaline, right. your hand's just going to start flying, right? People fight. What do they do? They flinch. Yeah, you, you might bust your knuckles. If you're okay with that, great. I prefer hitting open hand because I could also palm. I can eye gouge. I can grab the neck. I can do a lot more with an open hand and has a better follow through, but that's just my preference. Um, <clears throat> in terms of elbowing, I, I honestly have the habit of head hunting. I don't hit the body. When it comes to self-defense, the only thing 
I go for is the head. Hmm. And and the knees, midsection, groin, whatever I hit. I don't sure. really I, I don't do the body shots. I find they're a little bit harder to get, takes more timing, more like, you know, more setting up. I want to finish it. So I want to go straight into the head as quickly as possible. So the elbows, hammer fist, hammer fists are great, palm strikes. And once I do that strike, I like to bridge the gap and really go in close quarter. Mm-hmm. Not give not give my attacker that distance. Yeah, I, man, I love that. I'm, I'm visualizing this as you're saying it. So c- continue. And will you tell me about your beyond knees? Like, for example, uh, if you did Kung Fu and a bunch of different martial arts, you probably know how to throw uh, high kicks. You're... You know, you look to be a little bit lanky, lean and muscular. I'm sure you're flexible. You could probably throw a kick pretty high. I never, ever threw a high kick. I threw uh, low leg kicks that crushed some people. I threw like a low front thrust kick right into the pelvic area. And then may, maybe I, I remember side kicking a guy pretty pretty good, but, but that was only because he was to my side. I didn't side kick yeah. him, like turn sideways. I was holding a guy in front of me. And a guy came up to the side to try to punch this guy, and I sidekicked him, you know, 10 feet back, and he fell down or whatever. But tell me about kicks and what your experiences were in real-life stuff with kicks. See, um, I, I, you know, I do the same as you. I kick all my—believe it or not, I'm not—I I haven't trained my flexibility. I'm flexible. I'm not super flexible, but also because I never developed it, I always kick my kicks lower than the waist. That means I, I attack the groin, the knees, the shins, nothing higher than the waist, maybe a front kick, but that's as far as it would go. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I've never got to the point where I had to kick anybody. I did throw a lot of knees, mm. but never threw a, like a front kick or a side kick, not in, not in, not in, not in a real environment, not in, not in the street for me. Again, because I'm I'm always more close quarter. Yeah. Like as soon as I could, as soon as I could throw that first that first strike, I stick to you on glue. And I like to because most people don't know how to fight in that close quarter range, where you could headbutt and elbow and knee and eye gouge, and that's where I'm most comfortable with. But in training, when I do like knife defense and stuff like that, that's where I throw my low line kicks. Jar kick, front kick, kick to the groin, kick inside the thigh, mostly to keep the person back or like hit high and hit low. Mm, yes, change positions, yeah. When you talk about your your knife stuff, uh, your counter blade work, whatever you want to call it, what is your background in knife self-defense and what have you found uh, to be successful in that? Like how do you – how do you teach people to deal with an edge weapon attack? See, the first thing I do, and I, I was telling you before, I'm, I'm going to be going at the, at the Boston Police Department. And they contacted me just a couple of weeks ago, actually, which was interesting because they saw one of my videos and they really told me they love what I do with, with knife defense. And what I do that's not really covered a lot, <clears throat> everybody covers the knife when it's out. I focus on the two, four, 10 feet, 15 feet range. I focus on the awareness, the distance, the positioning, how to intercept the knife before it comes out. Once it comes out and it starts gaining momentum and speed, it's harder to defend against. Hmm, yeah. So I start I start the knife when the guy is talking to me and I'm looking at him. I'm looking at his hands, his movement, he's stepping forward. Is he reaching for something? Are both his hands in his pocket? As much as I'm talking to him, looking at him, I'm actually looking at his hands. He's so much moves anyway, I'm striking him. I'm not sure. waiting for that hand to come out. I'm not waiting for him to go reach a weapon. If I can't see his hands, to me, he's got a weapon. So the fight starts there. Is he moving around me? Is he stepping back? Is he trying to, is he trying to close the distance? Is he trying to open the distance? Is he leading with his arm so he can grab me, so he could stab me with the other hand? That is the most important, if you learn this and you learn how to act or react really quickly, you might get stabbed once, maybe twice, but at least not 15 times or 10 times. That's the difference. You know, it's interesting you say that because even something where if you're initially dealing with someone and you have the training, 
you have to have the trainer first to, to have the awareness of like, all right, this dude actually looks like he has a clip in his pocket. He probably has a yeah. knife in his right pocket or he has a, a clip in his upper waistband or maybe in his rear pocket. That awareness tells you that if that hand goes near that pocket, man, you're in trouble where if you don't have that training, you, you never notice the hand went to the pocket for a second and not realize that that thing that feels like a punch in your gut is not just a punch. It's a knife stabbing you. So I, I appreciate that. That's a great, that's a great angle to take on that. I like that. But, but I focus on that. I mean, I focus on that, whether it's men, women, even beginners. The first thing I do with beginners in, in, in my hero program, my self-defense program, the first 12 videos are nothing but awareness and psychology. Because if you learn how to be aware that means when I'm faced with my attacker, you learn how to create distance, how to talk to the guy, how to diffuse the situation. As I'm diffusing, I'm also looking, I'm moving, I'm looking at his hand. It, it's going to be a lot harder for somebody. Think about it. If somebody's going to stab you, they got to come at least, at least 10 feet in your range where they're either talking or starting approaching you. At least five feet. That means they're in maybe knife or striking range. So if you're in that close, you got to, your awareness has to be on fucking code red. You got to be ready to respond quickly. And this is where a lot of people fail. You look at a lot of the knife defense video, they teach you when the knife is out. I want to start it way before the guy's following you. The fight starts, not the moment the guy punched you, the guys, the fight starts. I tell people that make you the moment you make visual or intuitive contact, the moment you see something, or you feel something, what do you do from that very moment will determine your survival. Hmm. Yeah, I love it, man. That's a great, it's a great way to describe it. And listeners, if you're not paying attention right now, you need to, because that is huge. That That's a huge, huge tip. Um, and let me, and let me, I want to talk about your hero program and also YouTube and, and, and how you started that. But before I do that, I would like to ask if you, had the opportunity to use intermediate weapons. Uh, I know in Canada you, you may not be armed like we would be down here in the U.S., but intermediate weapons like uh, pepper spray, pepper gels, or tasers against someone that's armed with a knife or someone that is ag- aggressive. See, in, in Canada, the gun laws are very strict. The carrying weapons are very strict. Uh, you know, I have a tactical pen, but even using a tactical pen, if you have, if you're holding a weapon, it's easy. If I go to court, they'll be like, well, you were holding it with the intent to, to, to do harm, hmm. even in terms of self-defense. It's, it's, it's a gray zone. So, yeah, <clears throat> I always carry a pen in my car. I carry a pen with me. I've learned how to use improvised weapons. When I used to work at the club at one point, one of the clubs I was working on started getting really bad. So I brought two sticks. I like, like that's what I felt most comfortable with. But then I, my friend told me, like, if you ever get caught with the sticks, you're going to get fucked because, you know, you're, you have two sticks. You can't, you can't tell a, a judge, oh, yeah, well, you know, I had kept the sticks for self-defense. If you hit somebody, you still got to go to court and be like, well, why the fuck did you have two sticks? A security guard. So what I did is I took a broomstick and I broke it in half. And I put it on the side as if like I kind of right, right. put it in this little room, right? <laughs> and which is funny because I had to use it one time. Yeah. Right. It was kind of like, and I, I sliced it in a way where it kind of looked like that. And mind you, nothing ever happened. Like we were in the street and I had my stick and he had picked up those big poles from the oh, this fucking guy was a beast, man. He had picked up, you know, the big metal things that the bouncers have, yes. you know, with the rope. Yeah. Yep. And he sw- and we're like basically outside in the club, look like a fucking movie and we're squared off. Uh, but I remember that's the spar I've used, um, you know, I, I, I've, what improvised weapons have I used? Now, can you, could uh, you use pepper spray in Canada? Is it legal? Or could you carry that in the clubs and have that up there? Or is that something that's no-no too? I, I, you know what? I'm not sure. I've never used it. I've always believed, learn how to use your environment. Sure, yeah. I, I've used my belt. Actually, I've used my belt. That's the only thing I've used. And I used to have a big belt and I, I learned, I teach people how to use a belt as an improvised weapon. Cause if I use it, it's easy, you know, like, I mean, I can get in a club with it. I can go out with it. Nobody's going to tell me, Hey, you know, why do you have that kind of belt? You know what I mean? So, so that's, but I tell people learn how to use your environment. Cause a lot of times you probably won't have time to get to your weapon. You know, your, your pepper yeah. spray won't be in your shower, might not be in your car. It might be next to you. You might have it. But as well, don't get emotionally attached to the weapon. Sure. Yeah. 
You know, your hands, your elbows, everything is there all the time. Learn how to use those and rely on those more than anything else. Yeah, once again, a great point. I'm in the U.S. Of course, I carry a handgun almost daily. I have pepper spray around me in my car. I I train with these things. I can get to them. You know, listeners, if you're listening right now, certainly not recommending not. But I, I agree with what you're saying, man. I think it's a brilliant statement. And I think that creating a mental uh, switch, if you will, to, to be able to assess and utilize things in your environment. Because look around, like I'm looking around my desk right now. There are multiple things I could use as a weapon that are not specifically designed or even close to designed as a self-defense tool. So I, I like that mentality, man. Uh, you know, you're sitting on a chair, your chair. Yeah. Your yeah. computer, you could throw it in somebody's face, grab the desk, move it to the side, pick up, you know, there's... It's, it's, it, 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 you have greater, like, I mean, great. If you carry and you have all that, that's, that's one tool. But as well, if you're, if you're a listener said, okay, right now, if somebody were to attack me right now with a knife and walk, what do I have right now? What can I throw? What can I move around? What can I pick up and learn? Like I tell people, there's three types of improvised weapons. There is what you could throw, what you can hold and use and what's static, like a car, if somebody were, I could use a car and move around it as I'm talking to, the, to a guy, an attacker, that's a static improvised weapon, right? I can't use it, but it's an obstacle between me and my attacker. Sure. Hmm. So that's, that, that's another form of improvised weapon. Yeah, love it, man. So tell me a little bit about, uh, so you worked in the clubs for years, figured out what works, what doesn't work. Um, and then kind of transition how you got into really focused self-defense training. Like, did you say, okay, I'm going to start teaching this stuff. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. Uh, how did that go? How did that come about? You know what? It, it, it was my passion. I love doing it. I was teaching, I was teaching like in schools and I was, you know, training friends, people knew me, everybody wanted to train with me. Uh, and then one day I said, you know what? I, I was working at a hospital. I hated my job. And I said, you know what? Let me just. YouTube, I just almost came out. My YouTube channel has been open for nine years. So let me open a channel and just start teaching. I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, in terms of like, would it ever get to where it is today? So I just started teaching self-defense and it started getting bigger and bigger. And then people started following me, writing comments, sharing my videos. I'm like, wow. And then as well, my, my confidence grew as an instructor. And I, and mind you, the whole time as I'm teaching, I'm still learning. I'm still working with other people until today. I, I'm still learning. I still go out there and train with different instructors and I still, you know, do different things. I, I, I'm a never ending student. That's what I believe. And then uh, I was also certified as a strength training coach. And then I started, you know, I opened my personal training studio. Then I started creating some, some online training. And then people started telling me, Hey, you know, you want to come to Vienna to a seminar. You want to come to Athens. You want to, I'm like, you want to come to New York? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then it just, from there, it just grew. And it is what it is today. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful and happy to be able to do this full time and as a living. And most importantly, to be able to teach people like self-defense, what's more precious and more valuable than teaching them how to protect their lives, right? You know what right. I mean? I believe this should be standard. Every kid in elementary... <clears throat> should learn how to defend themselves. And you want to, you want to get rid of bullying, teach kids how to defend themselves. Yeah. I totally you agree. Know, empower them from a young age and then they're going to feel more confident and less chance of being picked on and bullied. That's, that's my philosophy on it. Yeah. When you, um, when you do a seminar, <coughs> where do you start? I mean, do you, do you have like a structure you follow with some things that you think are the most important? Like, uh, man, first of all, I need to, I need to convince you that you probably will be attacked or you might be attacked. So it's a reality. And then go from there. Yeah. How do you structure your seminars? You know, it's, it's interesting. Like when I do a women's self-defense seminar, I'll take the women, for example, I have this big, uh, a Salvadorian guy who's like 300 pounds geo with a big full man. She his, he comes like, like, he, you know, he came from the, he, he had a like pretty hard life and stuff, but I use him as an attacker cause he's the real deal. And I always start with the women and I'm like, <coughs> sorry, I don't know if my throat's all dry. I start with women. I say, how many women here think you could defend yourself against them? Half the women lift the hands. The other half can't. I go, I divide the room in half. And I said, guess what? You have could and you have can't. This is the important of mindset. If you believe you can't, you won't. If you believe you could, you will. 
So I got to make all of you believe, and I got to change all your mindset to believe first that you do and can't, can defend yourself. So I start with explaining to them about fear, adrenaline, the importance of mindset, and I work there. Then I always start with awareness. I talk about awareness, verbal diffusion, and depending on who I'm training, it changes from person to person. Like, I mean, not person, seminar to seminar. If I do a knife defense seminar, it's going to be mostly focused on knife. But I always start with the whole awareness, awareness, space, distance, how to verbally diffuse, how to avoid a confrontation. Then I look at the physical aspect. And then I look at the aftermath. In that, there's a lot of, a lot of alive drills. I don't believe in this slow motion shit. You got to fight. You got to, you got to experience contact. You got to experience some kind of real form of training where you're going to get pushed, shoved, pulled, attacked for real. So you don't short circuit in real life. Yeah. So that's how more or less I structure them. Again, depending on who I'm training, what is the objective of the training? What is the group? So it, it, it varies more or less. Right. That makes sense. I like that. And I like the, the contact aspect because I totally agree. You just can't understand. You, you just can't understand the dynamics of a physical fight unless you get in there and push and shove and punch and drill and do things at speed and, and watch how humans move. I mean, you just can't do yeah. it. You can't simulate it. Um, now, you uh, when I got on initially on YouTube, then on, on your website, I found your, you, you know, you do one-on-one coaching, you do these seminars, but then I saw hero program and I'm like, okay, yeah. well, hero, what hero program? What is hero program? So tell, first of all, tell me why the name hero program and tell us about what your, your hero program is. Well, it's kind of like my idea was like, you know, there's a hero inside all of us. Like you, we could all you, you, like, we could all be a hero. Like, I mean, we could all be the greatest, you know, we all have that strength inside us. Right. And we all have that ability and capability to defend ourselves. And, and so I, I basically put a program together that has 48 lessons that follow. So it's like the first 12 are awareness and psychology. The, the other 12 are common attacks. The other 12 are ground and I'm doing the 12 that are going to be scenario training. So it's, it's, it's a broken down step-by-step lesson. Unlike YouTube, that's a mix of anything. These are lessons that are broken down that follow. Like before you learn how to strike, I talk about footwork. I talk about how to put, how to, you know, put power behind your strike. When I look at common attacks, I break them down from, you know, when the person's in your face, two arm lapel, one arm lapel, sucker punch, so I've broken them down and I basically created a program that people could watch and follow from home. Yeah. And in, and in that, like, again, there's one-on-one coaching. So I like, I'm training people online and, and, and I also have my instructor course that I'm doing in April, April 11 and 12 in Montreal. And as well, level two is, um, June the 12 and 13 as well in Montreal. I only do it once a year. And this is for people who just want to come train with me. And some of them it's just because they want to be certified and they want to teach. Hmm. It sounds very interesting. And you know, one of the things you mentioned was also being a certified fitness coach. You got into your TRX certified, maybe kettlebell and stuff like that. So I guess something I meant to ask you earlier and I'll ask it now was in your any street fights or club experiences, um, and, and maybe this is a two-part question. Number one would be, were you big into fitness back then beyond what you got from your martial arts and MMA-type training? And or did you experience situations in the club where you're like, man, I was smoked and I need to address this? Or fitness had a, a, a part of the, the outcome in the fight? It's a huge, huge like it's, 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 it's a big factor. I want to, don't want to say size, like, like I'm not saying size is everything. And I don't want to say size is nothing when, you know, I'm 170 now I was 185. Maybe I was still considered small compared to the guys who were over 200. So I knew because I wasn't big, I better be fast. I better be explosive. I better work my grip, my strength, my agility, my speed, my timing. It plays a factor. If you're in security, if you're in law enforcement, you're just banking more to your favor. 
And that's the way I see it. Now, if you want to learn self-defense and, you know, you only have a few hours a week and you're like, well, you know, I'm going to train a little bit. That's fine. But if if this is your profession, then your physical strength is really important. And to me, uh, I also believe in, you know, like, I mean, when I do a seminar, you know, I, I've seen instructors out of shape and big and I'm like, you got to lead by example. When I when I do a seminar and I'm there, I want to. I want to be the part, look the part. I want to lead by example. I do believe I still train. I'm 43. I still train, man. I still fucking train. I'm still sparring. I'm still, you know, I, I, I do my, my strength training. I, I want to keep all those skills as, as best as I can. One for me, because it's my business. I'm an instructor. But as well, when you're out there and something happens, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. You want to keep your timing, you got to train it. You want to be explosive and fast, you got to work it. You want to have good footwork, you got to do it. You know, I put on my weight vest, I put on the bands, I grab the weights, I shadow box, I, 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 I just challenge myself and push myself to be as fast and as an explosive because it's only, it's only going to be to my advantage any way I look at it. Yeah, I agree. And your fitness is, I mean, I suppose if nothing else ever happened to you or anybody else, if they're fitter, they're going to live long and have just a healthier and happier lifestyle anyways. But can, so now that you've said that, could, could you do, and I know we're getting kind of maybe toward the tail end of the hour here, but I would love to hear about your daily and weekly habits at this point. Like, like uh, maybe and, and maybe they're random, but if not, if you have kind of yeah. a structured week and like you know Tuesdays and Wednesdays is a strike day, or you do weightlifting in the morning, or you do primarily kettlebell or TRX now, can you kind of tell us about your daily training habits or your weekly training diet nutrition habits? Uh, so as for nutrition, I do intermittent fasting, so I don't eat twelve to sixteen hours. Um, I eat two meals a snack two snacks a day. I'm, I'm not a heavy, big eater. Um, um, 80% of my diet is fruits, vegetables, nuts, mostly fish. 20% is meat. Um, every morning I wake up, I meditate five to 10 minutes. I try to like start my day calm, um, have my agenda, schedule my day. Uh, I train, <clears throat> I try to date, I try to do 30 to 45 minutes every day. Right now, I'm splitting my program to three days of just strength training. I'm really working on more power. And the other three, sometimes four days, I'm just, I'm basically doing now 12 rounds of training. Uh, Agility ladder, speed, I'm working my timing with just different tools I have. I train with my coach at least once or twice a week in that. Um, where I'm still, you know, sparring, I'm still like, you know, working on different skills, whatever I feel I'm kind of losing, I'm just rehashing and redoing. And sometimes I just go back to basics. Um, you know, I, I keep, I try to keep a balanced lifestyle. Uh, like I said, eat well, exercise, meditate, get sleep. Uh, and that's it, man. Surround myself with good, positive people, cut all the toxic people out of your life. You know, finish the day with saying, what did I do good today? What am I most proud of? What am I not proud of? What could I have done better? And just be grateful for, you know, what I've created in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for what I'm living every day. You know what I mean? I, I have, I have a very good life. I love what I do and uh, I'm happy to be able to give back to the world. You know what I mean? And some people like what I do, some people don't, and I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I tell people, oh, I get comments sometimes, oh, you suck, you're that's great, man. Just go go watch somebody else. Why are you writing me that? I don't <laughs> really right. care. You don't, you don't like what I do? You have the right to your opinion. You, you, I suck. Okay, great, man. Go listen to somebody else. Why are you? So, I, I mean, that's where I'm at in my life, and, and it's, 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 it's a good place. Yeah, that's great stuff, man. I love it. It's a good, very, very, very good stuff. And, you know, maybe kind of to close this down, uh, if you were to talk to my audience and, and say, hey, uh, here's some advice from, from Nick. I've been there, done that, been in a lot of situations, learned a lot of things. You know, I'm pretty realistic about this stuff. What would you tell them? Do what, what, and what? What would your pieces of advice be for the, beyond what you just said? I would tell them that, it is your responsibility to learn how to defend yourself. The chances that it's 
a police officer will be there, that your neighbor or somebody else will be there are slim to none. It's your life and who's going to fight it better than you are. Don't give that responsibility to somebody else. Take it for yourself. Learn whatever it is, some basic form of self-defense. Um, you know, do everything to avoid a fight. That means defuse, deescalate, keep your ego in check. But when you decide if your life is being threatened and somebody has come into your space and they've made physical harm or they're out to hit you, you fight with everything you have and you have that right. It is your right to fight and to defend yourself to the very end. That's the way I believe it. And you do whatever it takes to survive. It's not about winning, not about knocking them out. It's not about, you know, putting on a lock and tapping them out. It's about you going home to your family, to your kids. That's, that's my, that's my theory. I love it. I couldn't say it any better than that. I absolutely love it, man. Um, and what do you, just real quickly, uh, we're going to post the links to your YouTube channel. Folks, Nick has a great YouTube channel. Some of the videos have over well over a million views. You got, uh, several hundred thousand followers, uh, tell yeah. people where best to find out about you. And folks, once again, I will have these links in the show notes. So if you're driving, you can't write this down or you can't go online. But Nick, tell them where to find you and what you got coming on, going on in the future. Um, the best place that they could find me is uh, com. My website, uh, my links are there. I have podcasts, interviews. Um, this is the best best place that they can find me. Uh, coming up, I have my instructor course, level one in April. They can get the information on the website. They could send me an email, level two in June. Uh, I am planning to do a small tour uh, in Europe sometime in autumn. I will be in Boston probably in, I'm talking to them right now, in summer or autumn as well. I am planning to maybe go to New York and do a seminar in spring. Again, like I have all this kind of happening right now but all the details are on my website you could send me an email uh, you know if you have any questions write to me i answer all my emails and uh and that's pretty much it cool and folks nick uh drosos n-i-c-k-d-r-o-s-s-o-s uh, dot com like i said the links will be in the notes uh, and then you can just search nick drosos self-defense and youtube uh, his nick drosos page is there a uh, bunch of playlists bunch of videos practical uh, short, easy to watch, uh, great to learn from. I've been watching them in the the pre-interview and doing my research. So it, it, it's a good page. I put my stamp of approval all over it. Get go there, watch that. You know, grab some of the videos that interest you the most and and learn from them. Um, so, uh, Nick, man, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, I, I didn't know a ton about you until I started doing some research. But uh, I think even though we've never met, I've certainly We've certainly come to almost the exact same conclusions about a lot of different things, you know, self-defense and and life related. And man, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come on my show. Michael, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. And it was a great conversation. I love these type of talks. They were real, authentic. And uh, I could, you know, it, it was it was really, really awesome, man. It's good. And I don't get that. It's very rare. People understand like we could communicate and we have the same experience. So that's makes it, we're both on the same, same path in terms of helping people live safer lives. So uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Thank you, sir. So how did you like that one, folks? Hopefully you uh, enjoyed it and learned a thing or two like I did. I had a, a, a lot of fun interviewing Nick and I think he brought some really, really good points up. Please make sure to go to the show notes and click on the links for his YouTube channel and Instagram and his website, you know, just, uh, or get on YouTube and search his name. You'll find him, but, uh, really, truly a great guy, man. I really enjoyed having him on the show. And of course we wouldn't have a show if it weren't for some of our show sponsors. So of course all of the sponsors and products I'm about to talk about can be found on our show page. So do me a favor, if nothing else, just go to AmericanWarriorShow.com and check them out. Uh, now, of course, as we've been talking about for you know well over a year now, we have some great products and companies that support us. Number one is Century Martial Arts. So this entire show was about combatives and striking, and I actually mentioned the use of the body, the body, body opponent bag made by Century Martial Arts in the show. It's simply one of the best striking tools I've found, folks. Get a bob, 
Uh, learn how to strike, throw punches, elbows, knees to the proper targets. You know, strongly recommend it. Of course, a lot of times I'll do a lot of my close range shooting practice, my weapon strikes and everything else. And when I'm doing that, I've got a converted Glock 19 that I use uh, to do my training. So I convert one of my Glock 19s uh, with a cool fire trainer. I've been talking about the cool fire trainer for a long, long time. So I can practice weapon striking. I'm not sure if they like me to do that stuff with their guns. But anyways, I do it. Uh, as well as all of my close quarter shooting positions. So you got to check the cool fire trainer out. If you are dry firing now, if you're still in the middle of the winter, which you probably are, it's January. Guys and gals, it's an incredible tool. You absolutely have to check out the cool fire trainer. Of course, oftentimes, if I'm working on my defensive stuff or my competition stuff, I'm going to be using a Precision Holsters holster. We've been talking about these guys for a long time. Uh, out of California, American-made and owned company. They back their products 100%. They're actually making some of these new competition lines of holsters that you might have seen me use uh, in the recent IDPA Nationals this year, actually the IDPA World Championship. So great guys, great holsters. My everyday carry is with a Precision Holsters Ultra Appendix inside the way it's been holster and a single Mac pouch. It's my go-to. Um, they have great gear and they're increasing the line every day. They're adding different handguns, uh, additional holsters. So give them a check out as well. Precisionholsters.com. Of course, once again, all of these products are on the show page. So check out the show note, notes page. Um, and a couple that I want to mention, last but not least, SWAT Fuel, you know, makers of that fine multivitamin product that I use on a regular basis, make a great grass-fed and finished whey protein powder, by the way. So if you're looking for a good whey protein powder or um, some some of their energy or fat burner supplements, you got to check out Swap Fuel. Um, great company owned by Dr. Dan, who did a lot of the medical videos on the American Warrior Society vault. Um, of course, Atomic Athlete. Just got off the phone with my buddy Jake at Atomic Athlete. If you haven't checked out atomic-athlete.com, you're missing out. They designed some of the best programs out there. Matter of fact, Jake helped me with Warrior One. Um, so check them out. They're great guys, great fitness programs. And of course, last but not least, but our own, our very own American Warrior Society. We are one of the sponsors of the American Warrior Show. I guess we own the American Warrior Show, so we got to be one of the sponsors as well. But hey, if, if you are entering the new year and you're looking for something to follow, training programs, guidance, a system, a systematic approach to training, folks, please check out the American Warrior Society. Check out our our vault access point. If you get on and click the link, go to AmericanWarriorSociety.com, click the link down toward the bottom. You can get a 14-day free trial. You can log in. You can see everything that's inside. Nothing is hidden, so you get to see exactly what's in a full membership. You don't like it, drop us a line, cancel the, cancel the uh, membership, okay? Uh, and we don't even want to think about it as a membership at this point in time. It's not a membership. It's a training system that you can follow along for 90 days, six months, a year, however long it takes you to improve your safety, to learn defensive handgun skills, to shoot your rifle better, to learn less lethal skills, whatever. There's everything inside the vault. You got to check it out. AmericanWarriorSociety.com. And folks, that's all I have. But as I always do, I want to remind you, the fight is coming. Be ready. You've been listening to the American Warrior Show, a show to help you prepare to defend yourself and your loved ones. Each week, Mike and Rich invite you to join the American Warrior Society. If you haven't joined us yet, why? See all the American Warrior Society has to offer you in firearms, fitness, medical, tactical, and combatives at American Warrior Society.com. Look all around you. The fight is coming. Be ready. Captain all units, especially in the north. PD is looking for a missing.